progression to the Twitter final. <laughs> Some controversy, but... Um... Controversy seems to have followed us every round, but I've been checking on to it. It's just like... But we, we haven't done the it was the There was a round against Bromley Common where someone decided to buy 500 votes for Bromley Common. Not saying that was a Bromley Common member, just someone on Twitter decided to ruin that vote. A yeah. bit like, there was a lot of games that round that had some dodgy um, activity by all accounts. Um, yeah. And then this round, this round, I'm not quite sure what we were accused of doing. Um, no, I think it was just jealousy. Cause when, we, the point we of taking the Twitter poll off Twitter was to make it um, safe from buying votes. I don't know how you buy votes on a Twitter poll that doesn't exist on Twitter. I don't know. Um, Who would be buying votes in that situation anyway? I don't know. That is the big question. Like, <laughs> so to, to fill you in, Buzz, and if you have you seen the sixes and wickets thing on Twitter? Yeah, I've seen I've seen a bit of it. Like, obviously, we we spoke about it, but I don't. I think it must have been you said. Oh, it's not. It's been a. It's you versus another big club on it, like a rival club for. A, well, there's a Bromley Common one which sort of blew up-ish because, yeah. like, like Riles said, they, they took... It's because, like, they claimed that someone... Because that, they had a guy with, like, 300,000 um, Twitter followers in, in Sri Lanka. And they claimed that because he tweeted it, that's why they got all the, all the votes straight away. But it's weird when you get 200 votes in, ten, in like, the space of 10 seconds. That just doesn't happen without it being automated. But anyway, we... we We've got a fantastic guest on today, and I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting caught up in the uh, the uh, the politics of, of the sixes and wickets, and we'll be oh. here forever. Um, but good afternoon, guys, or good evening, or good morning, wherever you're watching it, and um, welcome back to the Boundary to Boundary podcast, featuring myself, Dave, and Buzz, and another special guest for you guys today is Riles Adam Riley. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Can't complain. Keeping busy during lockdown. What are you doing to keep yourself occupied besides working? Um. Just a lot of quizzes in the evenings. Um, got a lot of different people running quizzes, so we just tune into a different quiz every night and try and expand our knowledge. It's uh, crazy, isn't it? I, I don't think I've had more general knowledge or pub quizzes in my life. And the 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 scary thing is, after this lockdown is going to come out, my knowledge will be brilliant of just utter rubbish. <laughs> just things that you don't need to know. I'll be like, oh yeah, actually no. In in Cameroon, they do actually have a unique drink called the. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. Like, pointless. So there we are. What's been your best quiz you've done so far, then, Rod? Have you had one that's been quite creative that you find um, quite different? I'll have to give Dave Pask a shout out. Um, okay. He's he's he, well, he's on day thirty-five or something. He's done thirty-five quizzes in a in a row now. Um, but he comes up with different um, different categories and different ways of doing each round. So he's been he's been pretty creative over the last. Uh, month or so. he does he does love that sort of thing though Pasky. every time there's a TSS thing a teacher was for one he's always the guy that's responsible for planning things yeah yeah he loves it yeah oh, fair play fair play but let's let's talk cricket let's go let's get on to cricket yeah let's, let's where, where, we, where we started from this and by the way just so we can make the relevant the conversation start relevant if you haven't already this will go out around the same time that the final poll goes out for sixes six and wickets Bexley CC. Who have we got in the final? Do you know, Ross? No, we've got Plumpton. Plumpton in the final. So, guys, like, head over, all 30 of you, 17, however many are listening, all head over and vote for Bexley because we want to win this. So, what, what is it? Who, it's just a random competition. Then what, what, what yeah, you, you enter it. You enter it and the winner gets kit for their team. Wins that kit for their team, I think. Yeah, there's like a, a, a one-day kit for the, for the winners. There's a, um, like a conference-style um, 
what do you call it? Uh, meeting with opening up. Um, oh yeah, mental health. Yeah. Uh, so um, they come in and they'll deliver a um, deliver a session to the club, which will be good. Um, I think the runners up get um, some Keeley kit or some kit from some one of the organisers. So um, there's some good prizes. Yeah. And you don't you, and you don't you don't need to know anything really about the clubs. You just literally vote either way. Yeah, you just choose who do you like to look up. <laughs> Hopefully, you're erring on the side of Bexley and you give them. Oh, a of course. Why wouldn't I be? He's no, he's nominated Bexley boy. But um, yeah, like like I said, so Raz, with with cricket, where was when was it when did it start for you? What what was the point where you sort of thought cricket? I like this game. Um, or, do, or do you <laughs> do you like it even now? Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm trying to think when I first got into cricket. I think my first ever. I don't know why it is. My first memory of cricket is the 2003 World Cup. Um, I think that must have been the age where I started paying attention to the to cricket on TV a bit more. And then that summer, um, Dad signed me up at, at Dartfordians, actually. Um, Shout out Dartfordians. Small club they, well. they didn't have an established cult section at the time. So it was um, they didn't have an under-12s age group. So I ended up moving to Bexley because I wanted to play some like competitive league cricket um, yeah so it's probably about 12 where it all started probably from watching a bit of cricket on tv and then um mainly getting stuck in at bexley after a little stint at dark audience yeah and have you always been an off spinner did you sort of start as an off spinner or um for about a year i was a, a seam bowler during my okay. win my win ball years um rich low sullivan taught me how to bowl um some beautiful outswing and then said actually no you you're, you're not going to get very far <laughs> You should probably very honest. Um, so as long as I've been playing like hardball cricket, I've bowled off, off spin. Um, but I did have a phase of bowling, wonderful outswing at about eleven. <laughs> How it all could have been so different if you bit the right big open seamer, doing doing a little bit, and, and then yeah. So obviously it's interesting because quite a craft bowling spin, and I guess that's when you sort of become in like you you can't really bowl spin if you're a Wimble player. You just sort of when you start playing hardball cricket, that's when you see yourself as a spinner if that makes sense. Because a lot of times, kids that, that play with wimbles, you won't get much purchase on it. So they just tend to try and throw it as bowl as quick as they can. No, I guess, it, yeah, you see a lot of the under-11s and slightly younger, they all generally try to bowl fast, don't they? Um, yeah. You see the odd person try and bowl spin, but generally, um, boys haven't got the power, or boys and girls haven't got the power in their in their bodies to be able to generate enough energy energy to bowl spin. So it's just easier to run in and try and bowl fast, isn't it? I, I think it's a, yeah. I think it'll be a generational thing though, because now now you're seeing twenty twenty kick off so much and the the most successful bowlers are traditionally now slower bowlers, spin bowlers. I think we're gonna see a kind of increase in young spinners, especially leg spinners. Like I, there's a lot of youngsters coming through. I think it's because of the grip and like you're saying with, with an off spinner grip it's hard to get revs on the ball. But to kind of bare claw it and you know wrap your wrist around one, I think we're we're going to start to see an increase to that. But like you're saying, when you're getting into the game two thousand and two two thousand and three, there was only a, a handful of world class spinners to really look at and, and learn from. I suppose. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a fair point. Um, I, I do agree. Actually, you see a lot more kids trying to bowl leg spin. Mm. Um, no, I I tried to bowl leg spin and I find it impossible to bowl leg oh, spin. I can't. I can't. Yeah, some of the boys like the boys and girls that, that we work with, like me and Dave work with, 
they'll, they'll try and bowl leg spin. They'll bowl half decent leg spin, but they <laughs> they cannot bowl an off spinner. I just can't get my head around that. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a it's a I'm in awe of like young leggies. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I get the you know nine, ten, eleven years old who are able to get you know up and down, turn the ball. And I'm just there like. Oh, I wish there's I could so do many, that. There's so there's many. There's so many rocks, honestly. A, a leg, a leg spinner is allowed to be garish as well. They're allowed to have the big hair, the hair bands, the zampers of the world, the leopard print, because you're a leggy. You're the, you know, you are the flair <laughs> player within your, within your team, within your. Squad. You are the flair player. You are. You are. So it's, you would say you would say that the spinner in the team when Peterson was playing, Peterson wasn't the flair player. Well, no, what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, if he was going to be, if he, if you were to look at that team. And you go, who's the leggy? You're gonna go, well, the guy with the, the old blue stripe down the back of his head. Yeah, he is. A, you know, that's that's what a leg spin is about. A bit, bit of character, a bit of pizzazz. <laughs> Class, but yeah, Raul's right. Actually, we've got quite a lot of good young like leg spinners in our like the younger the courses that we run, haven't we? That just, they take to it so naturally. Like you give a boy around, they just start doing that. It's like, I can't, I can't do that. But um, but yeah, taking it back to yourself, then, mate. When was it when you started to think? Because obviously, you play football as well when you were younger. When, when was it that sort of cricket was becoming the route for you? Um, not till quite late, actually. I, I, I know a few of the boys that I ended up playing with at Kent were in the county setup from like under-11s. Um, yeah. But I never, I didn't make a single, well, I didn't get into the, the county setup if you like, until I was 16. Um, so actually, the, my first five years of playing cricket at, at Bexley, um, literally, literally that, just playing... Um, with my age group and then playing a little bit of adult cricket on a Saturday. So it yeah. wasn't until I was 16 uh, when I got picked in the then Kent under 17 squad. Um, and then the following winter got put onto the, the academy that I actually had to, well, not that I was ever going to pick football, but I actually gave up football at, at 17 when I was in yeah. the academy just to basically dedicate all my efforts into to being on the academy at Kent. And then within three years of playing for the un under 16 or under 17 team I was making my debut for Kent so actually it was quite quite a quick um, quick rise if you like mm. yeah and I think that's quite quite late yeah I think that's quite symptomatic of the skill as well if you're an off spinner you tend to spend so long, so long honing your craft and you get to a point where you're with a game where you're so comfortable and you're bowling well that actually you can be quite you do see quite a quick acceleration through the gears of that in that skill the reason I mentioned football is because Raz is an absolute cat in goal and what you did indoor football uh, it was just I couldn't score past him. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that like you say that because it, it's quite different. Because most people you hear they get in the age group quite young. They normally start around nine, ten, go right up through in the pathway, and then they sort of yeah, it's interesting. interesting I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that there's there's one one or the other way to do it. Like some people that someone like Adam Ball, for example, was in the the Kent age group squads from about eight years old. But yeah. um, but he was naturally very good at at kind of 10 or 11, whereas I was not a county age group standard cricketer at 10 or 11. But by the time I was 16, the experiences I'd had playing um, various cricket, school cricket, Colts cricket, bit of adult cricket, like fourth 11, third 11 cricket for Bexley. Um, yeah. I was ready to make that step up. Um, that's kind of the message I always give to a lot of the boys at, at Bexley. Some of them that are disappointed they might not got picked in a county squad. Well, actually, um, we all develop at very different speeds. Um, Massively. And I think touching on a, being a spinner and, and kind of jumping into men's cricket, I think that can be a, quite a tough transition as well, especially when, especially if you're you know, 11, 12 years old and you've kind of had success as a spinner. Although, let's be honest, at that age, if you're putting the ball in the rough area, it doesn't really matter what you're doing with it. You get, you're going to get relative success. But getting into men's cricket at an early age as a spinner, you learn quite a lot 
you know, in terms of pace and about control because you've got nowhere to hide. If, if, a, if, a, if a bloke wants to go after you at a young age, sometimes you've got no option. You're just there and feeding, feeding that. So that's quite an interesting you know, thing that you, you were playing a, a lower level of men's cricket early, especially as a spinner. And I, that's probably going to be helping you, well, I would imagine anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, there was two elements to it, really. I, I remember a year, I think it might be under 14s at Bexley. So the Colts cricket I was playing on a Friday was with a small ball. Then mm. I'd play for the, the fourth 11 on a Saturday with a, a full-size men's ball. And it sounds stupid, but actually at that age, um, getting used to transitioning to oh. bigger ball was actually probably underestimated. Um, oh, but also in men's cricket, if you keep lobbing it up and they keep hitting it for six, then eventually the captain and all the adults you're playing with are going to go, right, actually get this bloke off because he's basically leaking runs. Whereas in Colts cricket, it's like four overs or it's very prescriptive. Like you, every team might go, right, everyone's going to bowl three overs. Or if you are going to bowl, you're only going to bowl four overs in a game anyway. But men's cricket allows you to bowl more overs, but also um, you have to kind of earn them overs a bit more because you weren't just going to let Bill out a bowl and, and leak runs if you were bowling badly. Mm. Absolutely. So, it, 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 also, you find a way, didn't you? You find a way, like you say, if someone in in, in cold cricket, you just toss the ball up, and if someone gets after you, it's one every three games. Realistically, you don't get someone every game. But in men's cricket, when it starts, kind of a bit more consistent. You you adapt, and actually, as a spinner, I think that's you probably agree, Ra. Is one of the biggest skills you need is to be adaptable, more so than probably any other discipline, because there'll be times when your best ball will go for six. So, what do you do in that situation? Well, yeah, I've had, had that a few times. Um, no, yeah, it is. Uh, Part of a spinner, a lot of it, most of the time, is not um, having lots of tricks. It's about being tactically aware, like you say, being adaptable um, and actually being able to make subtle changes, whether it's your field, um, maybe the pace you bowl, whatever it is. Um, whereas other other skills within cricket might require lots of different um, lots of different areas, if you like. So as a batter, you might not have lots of different shots. Whereas as a spinner, especially at young age, I'm always the tactical side of it quite quite quickly because actually they're the they're the tools that you've got that um, people take for granted Just little subtle changes of the field putting your boundary fielders in the right place and learning where they should be yeah. early on is really really useful um, I know something that we have tried to do this winter with a lot of the bowlers we work with Dave um, actually understand where you need fielders on the boundary to start with and then where you can move them and how you can manipulate it's a different batter so um, the, the weaker batters that don't hit over the top you can have the fielders up but might have them square or whatever or the big brutes you might just go right yeah I, th I think right, when, it right. comes to, when it comes to deep fielders and it comes to a field for a spinner in general the, the guys on the boundary I think a common mistake is that bowlers they see it as a defensive element they say oh, okay they're, they're there because I've either bowled a drag down or I've maybe tossed the ball a little bit too wide and <laughs> given some freedom um, which, look, I'm getting some really bad feedback. Yeah. Occasionally, go on. Yeah, so it, it, the audio came through a bit strange then. There we go. No, no, but just to, to finish that point off, having having the awareness from a young spinner's point of view of. of that the field playing such a major part in in uh, an attacking sense for a spinner, I think some is so underestimated. And it's not just those traditional fielders of either a man in short catching or a slip. 
it, it can be that the people on the rope can be kind of creating that pressure and setting a, a batter up for um, for that big hit and that catch out in the deep. It's a bit of, bit of cat and mouse as well. You want as a spinner, you want to feel that you're comfortable with, so it allow, allows you to bowl whatever ball you want to bowl. Um, but you're also trying to negate the strength of the the batsman. So sometimes you might bowl at a batsman, you've got no idea what what your strengths are. The more you play against the same player, you know that so and so reverse sweeps or someone else likes using their feet, and you can set your field to start with. Um, but certainly as a young as young spin bowlers, um, a lot of the times when they as seen those basic sort of fail, it's usually because actually they've set a really bad field to start with. And then working out how to use that to their advantage, it's a massive skill. It doesn't require you to bowl anything other than your stock ball, which is the best thing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's fascinating. And I think it's, like you say, it's, it's about setting a game plan as a bowler. And I think that's what we've tried to work on. Like Raz said a lot with the, with the lads this year is, is obviously we've, we've got our skills and we work on our skills. And especially as spinners, we try and hone that craft and get that stock ball well and know a couple of variations maybe if maybe just a one but it's about how well you're planned and what your mentality is going into bowling and and how sort of um versatile but also thick-skinned are you that you're you know how to react to certain situations because i know you've you've worked a lot rather with spinners this year on what happens when someone gets after you actually that's when you need to be quite quite disciplined and go and know your game plan and stick to that game plan but taking you back onto onto yourself because i know you don't probably won't like talking about yourself too much you're a very humble man but when did you break into the Bexley first team? What, what age were you when? Because obviously you got into Kent when you were sort of 16, 17. Were you playing a bit of first team cricket at Bexley before then or was that sort of succinct with getting to Kent? Uh, it kind of mirrored. I, I think I played my first first team game was right at the end of the season when I was 15. Okay. Um, literally played one game. I don't think I even bowled that many overs. I probably bowled like two overs. Um, like last game of the year, classic. People got on holiday or back to school. Um, and then the following year when I was 16, it kind of mirrored. So when I was in the Kent under sixteen, Kent under seventeen squad, I um, played a lot of first eleven cricket that year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because the level that the the Kent first teams at, and and sort of a lot of the teams they play against, probably is similar to just sort of a Kent two standard. So it's interesting that you broke your involvement sort of grows in that team, and then that probably gave you a bit of confidence towards playing for Kent because you're like, if I can do it in this team, then I'm probably not too far off where I need to be. That, would you say that's the case? Or yeah, I think the, the Kent Premier League then still is now is a is a decent standard of league, um, and certainly there are games where you think a lot of these players would would still be able to do it at, at second eleven level, county second eleven level. Um, so taking confidence from success in adult cricket was big for me growing up, because like you yeah. said, you go back into a Kent under seventeen game, having just got you know three wickets at the weekend against adults that some of them who have played first class cricket. Um, Gives you a lot of confidence. That's why I always like watching the young players move through the adult teams at the at the right pace, not moving through too quickly, so actually they get to a level where they consistently fail. But um, success at adult cricket as a young as a young player, I think is is massive. And regardless of what level you play at, um, so whether it's success at third level level, that for me is is good because actually you're playing against adults that have been playing cricket for years and years and years. So um, just understanding. And the benefits you can get from adult cricket, and actually taking that back into your age group stuff, if you're in a county age group, for example. Um, so that'd be my. I think yeah. as well, it's uh, it's away from the physical 
aspect as well, just that mental toughness, that, that playing, regardless of the stand, just playing against um, an older competitor. You know, the things that are said, the feeling, the, the actual, um, I suppose the aura about it, when, you, when you're going out, when, when you're bowling in that situation or you're batting that situation, it's a completely different feel. And it, it kind of, it, it tames the, the, the youth cricket. You know, regardless if you're playing uh, county cricket to, to a high standard, it's still not going to be as tough, in my opinion, than, than a bloke coming in at you for the first time with, with, a, with, a, with a ball or coming at you, with, you know, when you're back. And, you know, from a, from a young spinner's point of view, when I was bowling and I kind of got put into men's cricket, I know my game, I started to adapt it very early and I started bowling quicker and I started bowling flatter. And it, w- it wasn't the case of, oh, I can just get away launching the ball up in the air uh, and just hoping that, I, you know, I, I get get a catch or, you know, he, you know, he misses it. It's a case of, oh, actually, I have to get the ball up and down. I have to put something on this ball or, you know, and, and that would definitely help going back into, you know, under 16, 17s kind of cricket. Yeah, I think it builds resilience in, in your game and it also nurtures, com- it, like, nurtures confidence in yourself because when you take your skills from a cult level to an adult level, regardless of what team you're playing in, it, it's reaffirming that actually I can do it at an adult level. And that is realistically what cricket is. Cricket is 50 over cricket on a Saturday when you're playing talking about our, the area that we're playing in Kent. So if you can take your skill set from a 20-over game at, at under-15s, under-16s, and you can apply that to a 50-over game in, in adult cricket, it certainly gives you that confidence. So carrying on for you then, Raj, from getting into the academy, uh, you said 17, was it, when you got into the academy? Yeah, 16, yeah. 17, roughly. Yeah, well, when was it when you sort of started to feel settled? In, well, not, not settled as such, but you, you felt confident in your skill set at that level and thought professional cricket is a career for me at this moment. Was there uh, a problem with that? Well, I guess the first year I was in the academy, I then started playing a lot more second eleven cricket for Kent. Um, yeah. But again, it, it was a nice transition because I wouldn't be the, the senior spinner in the second team. So um, certainly when I started playing at Kent um, in the second eleven, like Rob Furley was the was the main spinner in the second team. Obviously, Treadwell was the first team spinner. Um, and then there was a, a lad that came on trial, Mark Lawson, he bowled leg spin, good leg spinner. So actually... Um, my first year in County Second Eleven cricket, I, there wasn't any pressure on me. It was kind of like I generally was the the twelfth player. So I, in yeah. three days in Second Eleven cricket, you, you can name twelve players. One person doesn't bat. So not that um, that was great for my batting development. But actually, <laughs> I, used to, I used to get picked as like the second spinner um, and the number twelve batter or number eleven batter. Um, but got lots of experience that way and bowled at, at lots of good players. I remember my first second team game was against Somerset. Um, Somerset didn't have a game that week so like Nick Compton when he was at Somerset he, he played um, there was a lad called Chris Jones who was prolific um, but like a good batsman so actually you start bowling at these, these first class batsmen um, in second level level you get a bit more confidence and as soon as you start getting a few wickets you start thinking oh actually you know, this, this game this game's not, not any different you're just playing against slightly better players every time um, yeah. but the top of off stump doesn't change the, a good length doesn't change um, that, for a, from my point of view, being a spinner was massive because then you just start to understand that you just need to get more accurate, more skillful um, as you, you go. Did, did you have that awareness like straight away? Did you get that kind of uh, internal feeling that you know just do just be you, just hit your legs, hit your lines, and everything's going to be okay? Or has that come from maybe a little bit of hindsight? Um, that, it come from almost hindsight at the time. Well, I learned it from failure essentially because you start. You start at the top of your mark, you 
looking at Nick Compton, who's just about to play for England, you're thinking, how am I even bowling at this bloke? And then yeah. you bowl two overs for 20. And then it's that time after you've been taken off, you go, actually, like, this, <laughs> this game isn't any different. Like, yes, he's very yeah. skilled. I've just bowled two rank overs, probably set a really bad field. Um, but you take them them little pockets of failure, if you like, use them experience, and actually the next time it doesn't become quite as scary. It's like anything you're doing for the first time. No, like as a human nature is you don't like doing anything that you don't know. Yeah. Um, it's actually, once you've thrown yourself in and had a couple of experience of it, it becomes a lot easier. And that was the same at every single level. So like my first adult game, I remember being pretty nervous when Jeff Burton, bless him, um, chucked me the ball for Betsy 4th 11. Yeah. But after five games, I actually was going up to him asking for the ball rather than kind of nervously waiting up fine leg for him to chuck me the ball. Um, mm. It just happened. I think that, that gets at every level, that, that happens at every level where you just grow confidence through experience, whether they're good or bad experiences, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you learn from it. I think it's interesting because we had, we had an interview for a podcast before with um, a lad called Karen Jip Vansell, who has gone into coaching. Uh, he played a bit of second team stuff at Knott's. It was interesting because he, he spoke about when he first went into that environment at second team level, how different it was to any of his experience before and how much, the, it's kind of strange, but how competitive it was. And that was his first real experience of going into an environment. Did you feel that, that pressure in a way like, right, I need to perform here? Or did you feel quite comfortable in the environment that you're at that I will have chances? Because he said he felt it was quite nervy at the time because it was like, you're all competing for these spots in the first team. You're either a youngster trying to get a contract you're a young player that's doing well for the a club side or you're a pro that's coming to get form. So it's quite... How do you find that? Yeah, well, I remember the first few years, um, well, especially the first year, like every game you turn up with a bag of nerves. Um, but that, that's natural. You're in a professional environment now, so therefore um, the game's still fun, but there's also an element of actually you need to perform as well. If you don't perform... Yeah then you can't expect to get picked and get a contract, get your contract renewed, et cetera. So there's always that element of um, kind of pressure on performance um, at, from a professional level. Was there, was, there, was there a key moment where you kind of, or, or, or a specific age where you realised that it's going, you know, the game is going from like a hobby and something that you've just kind of grown up doing because of that enjoyment to, right, this is my job. This is what I'm going to do now. And this is, I've got to take this a little bit more seriously. Yeah, it wasn't until quite well, kind of three years into my professional career, if you like. So I'd, I signed professional contracts at 18, 19, and then chose to go to uni for three years. Right. Um, so I had like a season. 2011 was my first year. Um, played a few first team games because we had a very young squad. Um, there was a lot of opportunities available. Um, and then at the end of that year, decided that I was going to go to uni for three years in Kent. Because I'd done reasonably well um, in first and second eleven cricket, they basically gave me a three-year university contract. Um, so I still come back every summer and, and played a lot of second team cricket. Still played um, a little bit of first team cricket every every summer. Um, but it wasn't until I finished uni, and all of a sudden it was just every day down at Kent that yeah. it become become a job. It's still fun. I still live in the dream um, and doing something that not many people get to do, but. All of a sudden, there wasn't any other distractions, which in hindsight, again, I'd probably try and give myself some some distractions outside of cricket just to take the, the pressure. Because once you're in that bubble of every day is a cricket day, um, it soon becomes not overwhelming, but it becomes 
becomes a bit full on if you like. So actually, the yeah. best players you still hear are doing you know open university courses, or they they do something in the winter, work experience in the winter, just to to get a break from cricket because you can easily get sucked into that that cricket bubble. Yeah, and that's quite important actually because we talk about it being such a mental game and being you need to be prepared every time you walk onto the pitch and in a men- in a place mentally where you can execute your skills without feeling that pressure. And if you're living the game every single minute of it. It's interesting because obviously I assume you've watched the test as well, Riles. Have you seen the, yeah. the test? It it's crazy that some people in like love that side of it. Like someone like a Labashane or a, a Smith, they love but they could, but that's they're rare because they can make the game their love, their passion. And that's obviously because they've had a lot of success that they've allowed themselves to do that. But most in most cases it's good to have that ability to switch off. Did you find that being at a uni at somewhere like Loughborough, because the cricket programme there is still very full on, did you feel that, that kept you still on, on a good on a good path because it could have been easy to go from making lots of progress through the, through Kent getting the first pro deal and then going to uni somewhere maybe that hasn't got such a big cricket focus and sort of regressing slightly in your progress do you find it helped with that yeah well the only reason I went to Loughborough was because of the cricket program it wasn't because of the university course the three universities I applied for were Loughborough um, Durham and Leeds so I was only ever going to go to a, a, a university of cricket and excellence what they call them UCCE yeah 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 but just decided uh, also at the time it was a timing issue as well the fact that James Treadwell had just been picked for England I think he captained England for that one 2020 that rained off um, so I was never going to break into the first team within the next three years in my opinion um, yeah so I actually took the view having spoken to, to coaches about it as well we were very supportive um, just took the view that actually I'm try to go to university get get a degree get something behind me so that actually when I get to the other end of my career which I'm at, at the moment um, I had something to to fall back on um, so actually I think it proved to be a, a good decision to be honest um, yeah but I agree I, I wouldn't have gone to a university if it didn't have you know like world-class cricket facilities or weren't part of the UCCE if you make if that makes sense yeah how was the love for experience as a whole yeah it was it was good fun um it's the cliche when when you start, people go, "Oh, you enjoy it because it goes quick," um, and it it did. Like I can't believe it was so long ago now, um, yeah. but it was it was it was great fun. Um, and anyone that loves cricket as much as I do, um, like every day at Loughborough, you'd be doing as part of the the cricket academy, you'd be doing something cricket related. So you get your cricket fix every day. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've got other things to. Yeah, that's, that's, well. that's the biggest thing that kind of. I speak to, to young players, and regardless if they've got the capability or they're, they're looking to turn pro, you know, furthering that education is, is one thing, but having the opportunity to, to have three years of that constant, almost, it's, it's not always specific coaching contact time, but being around other people who love cricket and being around the, the opportunity to go, oh, do you, want, do you want to have a net or do you want to do this, do you want to do that? Yeah. I think that is so, they're so fortunate to have. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to work at Exit University and, you know, the facilities are fantastic there as well. So just to, you'll see it all the time. You'll just see a, a lad from the second team or the third team grab a high performance lad and you'll just, say, you'll just see them netting. And it's not very, you know, in, in the real world, you get that opportunity all the time. So, you know, I, I would always suggest if you're, if you're kind of on the fringes academically going to university, if you think of sports opportunities, Get, get to uni and just have three years of, of, of potential sport that can, again, get, give more opportunities for, for later on down the, down, the, down the road. I think also in this kind of era of professional cricket, I know we're 
just talking specifically at pre professional level here, but you see a lot of the boys get signed after they finish uni as well, yeah. um, because that that program and obviously Exeter and when I was at Exeter and Southampton were the the two other unis that were involved in the like the one day um, the one day cup if you like the Bucks Cup. Um, you see guys. I remember Exeter, Tom Abel was at Exeter when I played against them. They actually beat Loughborough. Um, and you, you see these guys get signed after they've they finished uni as well. Um, like Rory Burns is a great example. Got released at, well, Academy at Surrey, got released, went to Cardiff Uni, broke every record on university yeah. history lists and then um, got re-signed by Surrey once he finished uni and you now he's out in the back of England. So um, yeah. there's a lot of stories to come out of the system to changing now is the system to changing now as well there's a lot of elite coaches going into universities because they get that opportunity to kind of um, create that winter program in a set environment so yeah. you, you know you, like you're saying there is definite opportunity i think the mccu and the ecb that there's going to be a, a different package and that's now changing throughout the country so i think we're actually going to see probably a few more players come from that that sort of rory burns-esque uh pathway of playing cricket to a specific level being told probably i oh, know you're not going to do it and then three years later going oh actually we were wrong you're amazing can we uh can we have a signature please? yeah it's a unique game cricket in terms of like we talk about peak years for performance being from 24 25 to 32 mm. so actually if you go away and mature and you have those years at university to experience life living on your own bit of self become self-sufficient an education on the side so you're not 100% cricket but then you still have that 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 program alongside it actually can help you develop quicker and better because you're getting everything you need you're not living in this bubble of just like what is academy cricket you, you go out and you see the real world so now it's interesting so taking you back to again to your own career roles so finishing uni obviously games in a good place you play with Loughborough played against some good sides played with some good people um you sort of come back to Kent and then that would have been the end of the three-year contract they'd originally signed was yeah. it was it a case of right back into the twos to prove to a new contract or was it kind of like right we're happy with what you've done while you've been away so um, it was no it got very complicated very quick um so i went back for pre-season in my third year went back yeah. for pre-season um was bowling quite well then i took nine wickets in the match against sussex for against for Luffer against sussex in like the you know, like the pre-season warm-up yeah. game, friendly game. Um, and then we had, actually had Loughborough playing Kent. You said nine weeks in a pre-season game? It was like the um, the first-class friendlies before the start of the season. So that, that again, that just shows that it doesn't need, you don't need a wearing pitch to be a decent spinner. I will, I will, um, <laughs> I will say that we were using the last net wicket that Sussex had been using for pre-season. Yeah, it was a very, he's very, a very tired wicket at the end of their pre-season. Um, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I took nine, nine, nine wickets against them. Um, and then we actually played Kent the following week. So it was Loughborough with Kent and I, Kent said to play for Loughborough, obviously because I wasn't playing the first team. Um, I, think, I don't think I've got any wickets, but I bowled reasonably well. And then after the first game of the season, um, got a phone call from Rob Key saying, um, what's your university schedule like? We want you to come back and play the next championship game. Um, so the first month, so like during May, I was playing for the first 11 at Kent and also trying to do exams. Um, I remember doing an exam um, at the ground. This must have been like end of May. Um, 
had to get to the ground for six o'clock in the morning and the assistant coach, Phil Ralph, um, was my invigilator. <laughs> so he had, to, he had to go up to Loughborough to get permission or to get training to be my invigilator. So he had to sit in the, in the, uh, the, the tea room for about an hour and a half while I did one of my exams um, before, before the morning of a game. We, we, I think we played Leicester at home and uh, I was doing an exam in the morning and then bowling 20 overs during the day. So... How did you perform that game? Do you remember? It was a very, very complicated um, month or so to complete my university studies. It got to the, the last part of my university degree, like the the, uh, the summer exams in year three, usually pretty important. Um, and actually, my mind was somewhere else. But I ended up finishing with a 2-1 at Loughborough and then um, doing pretty well that year. I took uh, 60, 60 wickets that year. Yeah, I love I love that because from, a, from an outsider's point of view, just saying that you're going to go... Uh, playing for that game, regardless of that performance, your head it definitely and rightly is going to be all over you. But then people don't see that. You know, you, you don't yeah. hear it from the commentators, you don't hear it from the supporters, you don't really see it or feel it from the opposition's point of view. And people people forget that professional athletes, professional cricketers, they're just they're just people. They're just men and women who are uh, you know gifted and work hard at a specific skill set, and they are now playing within, you know, within that, within that role. But there's no, they're no different. You know, the world continues to spin the same way. They still need to eat. They still need to do their exams. They still need to pay their bills. They're still just human beings. And it's just, to hear that, to go through an exam, to get one, you know, it's just the coaches that, you know, look after you. And then within, I, I would imagine that paper goes down. Well, forget about that because you're going to be bowling from the top end and your role is going to be this, this and this. I mean, it's quite an overwhelming uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed that summary. Can we just bottle that summary up and just <laughs> post that on all social media? That was um, clip it. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was it was a busy month. It was a whirlwind month. I, I did end up doing three exams. Um, I can't remember they called it in situ. I think they called it um, where basically one of the coaches had to invigilate my or sit in a room while I, I filled out my um, my exams. But it was um, it was good fun. Um, Certainly created some, some stories and stuff. So, mm. also, also I'd, I'd sit the exam before the exams even happened. So, therefore, I'd finish the exam, say, at, I started at half six, I finished at half eight. Um, I'd have to hand my phone to the coach. I couldn't have my phone, would they? Could, <laughs> yeah, I, let I them know what's coming in the test. Text my mate saying, oh, the question about so-and-so is this. Um, rocket. Good luck, boys. <laughs> I, I learned how to live without my phone for a month as well. Um, just keep getting confiscated off me. <laughs> you must you must have felt so clear like by the, by the end of that month not having any exams and knowing that because you've had all these opportunities for Kent that you're probably going to go down the career path and the opportunity is going to be there for you it must have been the hardest month but then the most incredible feeling just out the back end of that like the yeah, sense I mean, everything just drops it, it was an incredible year really um, I remember doing reasonably well for the first couple of months um and then going up to Lords and bowling at England before one of the test matches. Um, I remember one of the one of the newspapers, I can't which one it was, basically wrote that I was going to play in the next test um, <laughs> because they'd seen me at Lords. But all I was doing was net bowling because I'd been doing well. Um, Did so you have was, England stash on at the time, or were you wearing? No, I just had my Kent, Kent stash on. Yeah, yeah they gave me an England shirt, like training warm up shirt, shirt to to keep. Um, but yeah, it was a proper whirlwind couple of months. Fair play. Uh, play because, like you say, you probably caught, caught a rhythm and then just sort of went. And that, and that was when Treadwell was playing for England, was it? You had that was why the opportunity. Or did Kemp? Played a lot of one day cricket for England, and then um, 
he basically took a bit of a break from four-day cricket. Um, he was he was at the peak of his powers in one-day cricket. He was unbelievable in one-day cricket. Um, yeah, and wasn't he wasn't as effective in four-day cricket as he'd like. So he, I think he played a little bit of second-team cricket, but really focused on. His he, he, went that, he went for that purple patch where no one could understand why he was so successful. And it, like every, you know, I just, I remember watching him, and everyone was and everyone was cracking on about. It was so great just to see an authentic spinner coming back in it, and and it just shows you if you're if you're at the top of your craft, and then you have other people like, yeah, but he doesn't do he doesn't do much with it. He just goes up and down, and you're like, well, he kind it almost paved the way before Swan to kind of almost highlight the fact that you didn't need to be a Muralithra and a worn type bowler. You could just be an orthodox spin bowler hitting their lines consistently. You don't have to, you know, we went on that search for a left-arm spinner for so long in this country. I think players like Treadwell must have just been said, like, by the way, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing, boys. You know, give me, give me a chance. So I'm worth a look. Yeah, I'm worth a look indeed, yeah. Well, that was him. He was always called Tricky Treddy, wasn't he? Um, yeah. that, he was just so good at, at changing his pace and in one-day cricket being completely unpredictable but bowling the same ball. Um, yeah. You see him, obviously we'd see him a bit more in the nets, but in matches he he could bowl the same ball with the same action, but it would be 10 mile an hour difference in its speed. Um, and that was that's what made him so successful. And the fact that he could land it literally anywhere on the pitch that he wanted to. I remember seeing a, um, him doing a, a one-day training practice um, with Min Patel, our spin bowling coach. Um, and he'd have three cones set up, one, at, one in the Yorker length, one on a, a good length, and then one back of a length. Um, and during his run-up, Min would shout, either, it was either which colour cone or what, which yeah. length. Um, and he had like a, a streak of about 22 on the trot when he hit the cone. And it was like watching something on like a computer game. Um, and it's moments like that where you just watch. They're, they're the things that you don't register and you don't quite see when you're watching it on TV. You don't see those subtle variations and those just those small adjustments, but it's also the late adjustments. So even when the batter has either you know come out the crease or they've gone deeper in the crease those sort of triggers in in a decent spinner's mind just allows them to go bang full bang i'm going to drag it back no i'm going to hold the pace back i think that gets lost in translation on on, on tv and from a spectator's point of view because i think what what young spinners look for they they love watching the orthodox delivery then the current ball the arm ball the one that goes the other way it's actually those balls, yeah, they're great to have in your armory, but those small, those those tiny adjustments and those that awareness to, to what's happening around you and those externals being the batter, that that's the definition for me anyway. What makes a good spinner and a great spinner? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think his Treadwell's control of whatever ball he went to bowl was like world class, and that's why he was he played for England a lot. Um, he wasn't a massive spinner of the ball, but like I said, he could he could watch a batsman and take ten yards of pace off um, whilst he was going through his action in the middle of the crease. So it was he was um, he was by far the best one day bowler I've ever I've ever seen, ever played with. Um, yeah, say ever seen. That's a big shout. But certainly <laughs> in county cricket, he was his numbers every single game were unbelievable. Um, there's no that's there's no surprise why he played so many games for England. He played a few Test matches as well and, and did reasonably well, but. Um, he was never going to be the number one spinner in Test cricket, um, just because I don't think he's face he's face fit in many ways. But yeah, um, he gave it a good go. 
Don't get me wrong. Yeah, how how much did you work with him? Obviously, being working, say, you worked with me and the two of you. Did did you sort of did he give you lots of support and help, or were these sort of persons went about his business and you went about yours? What was it like that dynamic? Um, no, we were never. I I got asked the question a lot. Like we were never like enemies or anything like that. Like I know we we're competing for the same spot, and there was times where he'd get dropped and I'd get picked, or I'd get dropped and he'd get picked. Um, and we just had a really good relationship of going, you know, like hard luck, good luck kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like when we were both players, we didn't do a lot of work together in terms of like technical coaching work. Um, we do a lot of drills together with a coach. Um, but then the back end of his career, um, he was turning a bit more to coaching. So I, I did a bit of work with him, especially the last couple of years, um, as he was transitioning from player to coach, just because he had so much knowledge. Um, yeah. It comes back to that saying that you hear all coaches say to players like you, when you've got a, a special guest in or whatever you know make sure you ask questions you know they've got lots of knowledge they want to give it to you um it was very much a case of that for me just asking a lot to him about different his opinions on different things his philosophies on different things in hindsight yeah. again hindsight I, I might have done it earlier in my career um and sat down with him but i guess when it was a player player kind of relationship i didn't want to i didn't want to get in his way in many ways because he was he was um it was like my idol growing up anyway, so. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to say because realistically, he's still the exact same person. He's just got a different title. From, yeah. from, you know, from one week as a player to the next week as a coach, the, the, the concept and the, the ideas and, and like you said, the philosophies of which he's had, they're still there. But from, the, from where you're sat, the, the line of questioning can be seen in so many different ways because, you know, like you're saying, you, in essence, want his spot. Yeah. And from a from a player's point of view, would he be happy enough to sit there and go, "Oh yeah, well, I like to do A, B, and C." Oh, cheers! I'm going to do that now. You can sod off because I've got your shirt. <laughs> but the, the the thing that I want to know is when he was when he was at his peak in one day, did you kind of think to yourself, "Right, I'm going to look to hone my skills at the longer format because that might be a different kind of avenue or, or way into this thing." Yeah, well, my my initial way in was playing a lot of football. That year that I broke into the first team was playing predominantly four-day cricket. I played a bit of one-day cricket, either because he was playing for England or um, we played together um, and we had, like, big boundaries at, at Canterbury, so it, it favoured playing um, spinners. But I definitely made a conscious effort of, of making sure my skills in four-day cricket were, um, were nailed down so that I stayed in the team. Um, yeah. I just, rightly or wrongly, I accepted that I wasn't going to oust um, the premier one-day spinner in England in one-day cricket. Um, I just accepted I was going to play as a second spinner or play when he was playing for England. There was opportunities. Um, yeah. Again, rightly or wrongly, but that's, that was kind of the, the path that I chose to take. Yeah, I won't, I won't stand this too long, but that season where you took 60 wickets and you were feeling good, you were bowling good, you were coming off the back of, like I say, finishing every, putting everything to the university chapter to bed, focusing on the cricket chapter and, and sort of hitting that, that prime. What point did you start to think about England at that stage? And was there any points where, when did they start making any sort of contact? Because when you're taking that many wickets on the circuit, out bowling pretty much everyone from a spin bowling perspective, they must, they must be keeping tabs and must be. Did they make any contact with you over that season or was it just a case of you thought it might come, did you think? Or were you just focused? What was it? Um, a lot of questions in one there. Yeah, never. Yeah, you asked about forty questions there, Dave. Um, that, sounds, that sounds like me. <laughs> proper journalist, you are. Um, during the summer, I don't remember much 
contact. I, I think they used to keep tabs on me via via me and all the coaches. Um, yep. And then back end of the win, back end of the summer, they indicated to Ken that I was going to be on the England Lions trip that winter. Um, but that was it. Apart from inviting me into bowl at England at Lords before one of the Test matches, um, that was kind of the only only contact I had really. But um, that year, I enjoyed a lot of lot of media interest or hype, if you like. There was a lot of that that um, was quite entertaining when it was a year that basically. Swan had just retired. Mo and Ali had just taken over as the number one spinner or had got himself in as the number one spinner that year. Um, but in the lead up to one of the test series, there was um, there was a lot of uh, speculation, if you like, about who the next spinner would be. Um, I always remember uh, at one day at training, we had like Sky Sports News on the TV screen and it was like Sky Sports did the four um, candidates for the next test and it was like Ali, Rashid, uh, Gareth Batty and me and naturally the next three days the boys were taking <laughs> out of me um, but again it's all, it was all quite entertaining stuff stuff that I kind of just took on the chin it wasn't I didn't really believe I was ever going to get picked for England at that stage but um, certainly gave me something to talk about to my mates It's quite <laughs> to see though that with, you know, with Trevor and yourself was there, some, was there a, a particular coach or a, a particular uh, strategy within Kent to be producing spinner, you know, two spinners back to back who were in line or, or you know, having success at each level. Was there, you know, a, a coaching like quartet there, or you know, or was it just a case of two blokes just turning up and they were decent at that far? Um, honest answer, I don't, I don't really know. Um, so between kind of sixteen and well me getting into the Kent first team and did a lot of work with Min Patel um, mm-hmm. playing with him at Bexley or playing against him um, but all, would always speak to him on a on a Saturday if we played against him in the league um, so I worked quite closely with him um, and he's, he's still involved at Kent now um, very knowledgeable guy on, on spin bowling that's one of the one of the gurus that I would I would talk to a lot about about spin bowling um, but other than that I, I honest answer I don't don't really know I think it's it was all just a bit of a coincidence, really. But um, certainly when I first broke into the, the Kent um, staff at second team, I was always bowling a lot of overs, um, whether that was a, a directive from above to make sure that I kept bowling in second team cricket rather than someone else bowling, maybe. But, um, but certainly at a younger age, you, the, the spinners that get newly signed onto the staff, especially playing second team cricket, you can you can get lost behind a, a, an army of of fast bowlers and trialist bowlers, whereas actually you still need to be bowling plenty of overs in second team cricket. Um, yeah, I, I certainly did that growing up. Yeah, so from that, from that season then within your within your game, how did you feel? So see, that was like this the catalyst. Did you think like having that big season, that sixty wicket season? So going into the next year, what was your thought process? How were you sort of looking right? I'm going to t- get that spot's mine now, or were you still thinking I've got to nail that spot down? Um, yeah, good question. That that was. Clearly, the best year that I had. It was the best I bowled, um, best I've ever bowled. Period. Um, that year, I got into a bit of a purple patch, especially middle of the season, bowling a lot of overs, taking taking a lot of wickets. Um, but again, it, it kind of it happened so fast that I, by the winter, I had been picked, picked on the England Lions. So went to Sri Lanka before Christmas, went to South Africa after Christmas. Um, yeah, and didn't get didn't get a time to really take stock. Um, and before I knew it, I was back in 
into the, the county season the following April, I didn't really have a time to sit back and reflect, which maybe I needed or should have should have had again in hindsight. Um, especially having three pretty full-on winters previous. Um, yeah. At Loughborough, and then literally a county season, bit of a whirlwind season, then get picked straight out in England set set up. Um, didn't really have time to take stock. Um, yeah. You know, in hindsight, at the time, I didn't think this. I was actually buzzing. I was like living the dream. But um, again, it comes back to that. What would I? What have I learned from that? That's certainly an observation that I'd make. Yeah. How has that experience worked with going with the Lions, being in that environment with with um, with, with what other spinners were picked as well as that? So, awards experience and what other spinners were there with you? Can you remember? Um, trying to think, of the other spinners were Adil Rashid um, was the the main senior spinner. Um, Stephen Parry was on that trip. Yep. Um, but mainly playing one day cricket. I don't know if you've come on the the Red Bull part of the tour. Um, Zafran Sari was like a spinning all-rounder and then he went on to play for England the following winter, I think. Um, yep. So I think, I think that was it. Um, so there was, a, there was a few spinners on that trip. Um, but again, it, it was just another, a bit like we said, a, before it was just another step up into the unknown. Um, yeah. And again, the the standard of cricket, of course, it improves because you're playing against, you know, the best of professional cricket now, or the guys that are next in line. So when I played my England Lions game against South Africa, they had Navuma playing, um, Rabada played in that game, Chris Morris, um, some proper name drops here. I, it was a, it, it was a, it's what both, like to hear. Both um, both our team and, and the South Africa team had some, some unbelievable names in it that either had played Test cricket before that or were, went on to be pretty good Test players. Um, yeah. So again, it was just a a step up in le- in, in a level or. Um, it, it kind of brings that new level of anxiety to be honest. It's, it's, you know, going back to when you're playing your first fourteen game, it's the same principle. It's just. You know, it's the same. It, you know, it's the same game, and I think, I think having an understanding of that, or having a knowledge or a composure to that, can only be beneficial. But on the flip side, it must be such a, such a great feeling to have it again. You know, when when you you've been a kid, you've gone through your academy, you've gone through university stuff, you're having success in the pro game, and then all of a sudden you're getting those same uh, internal feelings as like you did when you were, you know. 13, 14, that, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a purity about that, that that cricket kind of provides. And, you know, I, I love the fact that in our sport, you can be playing, you know, international A cricket against big names, but on the, on the, on the same basis, you can be playing club cricket and also be facing someone of an international stature of an overseas player. You, those, those feelings and, like I say, those, in, those anxieties, they're never completely gone. There's always a new experience to kind of, Creative going, oh, Christ, this again. <laughs> and every every single time you get that feeling, you don't remember how you solved it previously. So actually, you just end up there. You go back like, into that. Oh, no. at someone that you think is far too good for you, and then actually, like you say, it's the same feeling that you had when you were fifteen playing in the fourth eleven. Um, yeah. But it's it's just getting through that initial period and then relaxing into into that level. I think that's where a lot of the best players are successful quickly. They relax into that new level um, quicker than others. You see a lot of, especially on TV, so at test level or whatever, the guys that 
make the debuts and, and make silly mistakes just because it's it's tension, it's nerves. Um, yeah. The so guys that that come in, someone like Alistair Cook, I remember him coming in and making a hundred on debut. He just come in and relax into the situation and just rattled off another hundred. Um, and that's like you say, it's the same feeling as you are when you're, you're a youngster. Um, just being able to, to deal with it. So waiting, you like you say, you're waiting for that reaffirmation. You're waiting for that success to come, just to prove to yourself that right, I'm I'm in this environment. I'm comfortable. I can do it here. A lot of people, like I say, some people do that through through their scores. Some people do that through maybe taking five wickets. Others do it through, like you said, maybe you bowl, you feel like, right, I'm bowling really well. You know you're bowling well. Um, so it's fascinating really to see how, and everyone's different. I guess some people will feel that affirmation straight away. Some yeah. people may not, may not ever. Some people may get out and every, go into every game thinking, I'm still not up to this level, but that might make them play better. You don't know. It's interesting. So then from, from playing, what point did you sort of like, You've been a very, you've always been quite a strategic person when it comes to you. You've always understood the game, and you you were tasked with elite with being a captain a lot for Ken, weren't you? Like whether it's to, whether it's uh, in two stuff or obviously captaincy at Bexley now. Do you think your game always suited being a captain, or do you think it was something that you sort of picked up as you went along? Um, good question. I don't. I guess at a younger age, I was, I well. I felt I was pretty good tactically, so especially captaining. I didn't captain captain much at, at Bexley, but um, certainly at school cricket, um, Kent under 17s, I captained them in my second year. Um, at that level, it was less about um, leadership; it was more about the tactical side of it. Um, yeah. And having experienced that at a young age, I ended up captain at Loughborough, which was a bit more of a leadership role, management role, if you like—not management, but player management because you've got a squad of players that you've got to pick from with you and the coach and whoever else. Um, so it becomes tactical and and player management. And then um, when I come back to Kent, playing a lot of second team cricket, um, yeah. just end up, as, I guess, because I was playing second team cricket a lot because as a spinner, I generally would always get picked in second team, whereas some of the seamers might get rotated or they get injured. Because um, I was just a constant in the second team. I, I probably stumbled into the captain captaincy but um yeah again it come down to understanding the tactical side of it um do you think the volume of second team cricket is, is kind of benefited you from a spinner's point of view and just learn that that over you know the, the volume of of o's that you must have bought you know i've spoken to a few players who've kind of been fringe first team players and they've kind of been in and out of that first team or a 12th man or, you know, in and around that environment, they kind of miss out on on just the, the game time. And like, I, I wanted to pick up earlier about bowling loads, about bowlers, and, you know, they're, they're so strict on it. From a spinner's point of view, where, where does your, you know, putting your kind of coaching hat on, where do you kind of lead on how many how many overs a, a spin bowl should be bowling? Is it masses of volumes or is it, you know, what, what do you think? What, what am I allowed to say? What is the official ECB line on spin bowling workloads? Um, we'll have a clue. Yeah, my my opinion is that I appreciate, especially at younger age, when when bodies are developing and getting and getting stronger, um, and, and kids are going through that growth spurt. Then actually, you got to be careful on um, how much stress you put on the body with bowling. Clearly, bowling fast puts more stress on the body with bowling spin, but it's still an element of stress um, if you've got a decent action and put put plenty of energy on the ball. Um, but I still come back to to bowl as much as you can. That's what I used to do. I used to bowl 
as many overs before a one day game as I would in a one day game. Um, yeah. That was just my way of, of getting loose in the morning and, and getting confidence. I was a big confidence bowler. So um, I'd like to bowl lots of overs in the morning until it, I got to a point where it was coming out of my hand quite, quite nicely. Um, because then I'd go into a game and it would be... Did you, did you, ever, struggle, did you ever struggle with, um, you know, when things weren't coming out as well as you wanted to? You know, I think there's a, there's a definite feeling from a spinner's point of view of that, that snap and that release. And just, you know, unfortunately, there's times where you, <laughs> you bowl and you go, oh, that felt great out of the hand. And then you see it go over the rope. And that's just the nature of the beast of being a spinner. But was there a time where you were like, why does it? Why isn't this working? You know, anything like that for you? Yeah, there, there were lots of periods like that, um, and generally they were in around periods of the summer where I wasn't bowling as much. Um, so a bit like you say, I was either um, going around with the first team, carrying drinks and, and bowling a few overs, like between innings or, or whatever, or in the morning the next. Um, and certainly, um, I found that last year actually, having stopped playing at kind of middle of May um, like playing once a week for Bexley and not really bowling during the week at Nets um, definitely got that bit more where because you haven't bowled as much um, you don't get that like so that rhythm that feel and I'm, some spinners are different some I know some guys they like bowling less um, whereas other guys like me like bowling a lot and getting that that rhythm and feel um, I think it's, it's individual to each person but um, I was definitely one when I felt like I was not confident, I'd try and bowl more. Um, yeah. Because actually, whether that was detrimental at the time or not, um, I felt like that was the way that I'd go about solving kind of a lack of confidence. Almost kind of searching and finding that groove and that, that, that subconscious feeling of what you do. You know, I, I, look at, I look at a lot of test teams now. And you, like, the, the one that comes to my mind is John Best. Like, he went into the, the, the test side, has a, a great like little run and then you know Macy Penn the same thing you know they're traveling around and I just kind of think as a as a young spinner they're not bowling them they're just not you know then they, they get put back into a, the environment where they feel that they should be succeeding but they have they probably bowled 40 to 50 percent deliveries unknowingly and it's the same as the you know from a from a 17 18 year old in an academy than maybe not going to university without knowing or not. You're probably hitting 50 balls, 100 balls, 150 balls a week just by playing a midweek game or yeah. you know, a, a game on a Saturday and a Sunday. When you start taking those little pieces of, of that puzzle away from a player, unknowingly, that, that's going to clearly mess with the, you know, your routines, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like the point you made about Don Best, for example, he obviously made made his debut for England a couple of years ago and then went back to Somerset, couldn't get in the team because Leach was in the team and doing well. Um, and then there's no coincidence that he spent this year on loan at, at Yorkshire, bowled a load of overs and he's just bowled England to victory in South Africa in one of the test matches. No coincidence that bowling overs gives you confidence and therefore um, a better chance of being successful at every level. Um, I don't, I still wouldn't go away from that philosophy for any young spinner actually. Um, I guess there is a there is a certain roof where bowling too many overs can be detrimental, but generally, um, bowling more is is only going to be um, beneficial. I think it's bowling with a purpose and bowling to get that feel. Like yeah, when, yeah. when you when you're in that rhythm and you you, you feel that you're consistently releasing the ball well and you're feeling good, 
and you and you got that feel that's when you're you're happy with yourself so i guess it's bowling till you feel that and actually that maybe that's where you say right players bowl more when you're in that zone and you want to find that zone or maybe you're finding that zone like you say but bowlers who maybe find that zone more naturally like someone who's more a bit older who's already honed their craft has that consistency because i think with bowling it's about being able to be consistent repeatable um, and that only comes from repetition consistently doing the whole process not just like we say we, we want to break actions down and work on things and stuff like that but actually what the reason we break it down is so the end goal is consistent and, and correct for that player so I guess it's about finding how much how, how little they need to do that obviously going into coaching now Robs, yeah how do you how do you think your playing career has impacted you as a coach? Do you think it hasn't in any way? Do you think there's anything you've taken from your playing career that helped you as a coach? Anything that you think has actually been detrimental because you may be coming from, a, what do you say, anything that's... Oh, well, I definitely think my playing career has shaped how I'm going to coach or how I currently coach. Um, yeah. Certainly try to learn off different coaches that um, I've worked under and taken some things that I've liked from all of them um, and thought about the things that I didn't like. Um, yeah. kind of try to stay away from that. Um, I guess that shapes my philosophy, if you like. Um, but I guess my my key thing at the moment is, as a coach, is, is the player improving? Um, yeah. And that doesn't always require me to give them lots of technical input. Improvement might be actually they go away from a session being more confident because they hit a few more balls out the middle of the bat. Um, and not worrying too much on technical, actually just hitting high volumes or whatever it is. So actually just working individually with each player um, as, as a coach, trying to work out, right, how is this guy going to, or guy or girl trying to, how are they going to improve by the end of the session? Um, and what does improvement look like for them? Um, because again, that that's a big thing as a player, um, having watched other players be coached or in a, in a training session, for them, success is very different to what the coach um would deem a success or improvement um yeah what what does improvement look for them i think that's really highlighting that you know you're identifying the individual the person rather than just that 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 generic player and i think there's a feel to that and it kind of gives it a little bit of you know that like i said that individuality to to uh, a coach's uh, mentality and a player's mentality because you, you, you're going to build that rapport but I think that's a really really strong message to have is for, 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 for any coach who, who's going into the game don't get me wrong I've, I've got lots of learning to do as a coach I've been I've been coaching less time than, than you two probably um, but just from watching other coaches go about their business while I was playing and you know along, alongside people like Dave watch how other people do it um Certainly, that's the one, the one thing I always try to to come back to. Um, and you can you you could be working with two players and, and do the same drill, but they both have very different aims for the session. Um, and as a coach, that's the skill of the coach is working out how do we tick both boxes, um, yeah. for both players. Um, that's that's what I find um, the most satisfying part about coaching now. Obviously, because I'm not playing, it's less about outcome on the pitch. But as a, as a coach, can you can you prepare? as many of the players in your team as possible to, to go out and, and be happy and be confident going out to the middle and, and doing the business. Um, no, that's, that's fantastic. And actually that's like I say, it's interesting because you have a really good perspective on things and, and understanding Like, whenever I've coached with Riles, we, 
we, we, I think we supplement each other quite well as coaches because we like an environment where it's competitive, it's challenging, but for everyone. So we talk about times like well, we have a lot of discussions about within the group that we work with about, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. Let's have these conversations. Like we've had the benefits, both of us had the benefits of hindsight and thinking, right, what did, what did I not do enough when I was younger? Have conversations about cricket. And you said, Roz, if you could go back and have your time again, you would have potentially considered asking treaders a bit more while you were playing with him. So it's now our job to say, right, how do we get these players like Ross? What does improvement look like? The output is their performance on the pitch, but the factors behind that performance are huge. There's a long list of them. It's not just running in bowling the ball, hitting the ball out of the ground. It's about preparing the right way. It's about being confident in your skill set. It's about knowing your skill set. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people take time to get, get those skills. And you've made that transferability very quickly. You've transferred from coaching to playing, so from playing to coaching very quickly and very easily. What does the future look like for, for Mr. Riley? <laughs> Celebrating Charlton not getting relegated is probably going to be the first one. I was going to say, you said that we supplement each other quite well, apart from the fact that you're a Millwall fan, um, which means <laughs> never truly be friends, Dave. Um, no, oh, I, was... I didn't mean that. Sorry, I didn't mean that. What does the future look like? Um, well, hopefully some more coaching outside of lockdown. Um, yeah. But not trying to, to look too far ahead at the moment, especially having just moved into coaching, trying to get my teeth stuck in at, at Dulwich. Um, at the moment, trying to deliver the cricket programme there. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get back to school and do some form of cricket, but yeah, uh, that will take care of itself, I assume. Um, and obviously just got involved back involved with Ken at an age group level, um, which I'm really enjoying. So yeah. just um, keeping lots of doors open, really. I'd like to stay at Dulwich for a while and, and create something really, uh, really exciting there. Um, has, has there been anything with, with the transition from players to, 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 to a coach? Has there been anything that you've kind of come across or it's hit you that you, you weren't expecting? You know, whether it be in how you're delivering it or or how you know, you're going about uh, interacting with the players. Has there been like a bit of a shock to being, oh, I wasn't expecting this feeling or, or you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, good question. I guess um, a bit like the point I was just making, it was coming back to the fact that you have to understand as a coach very quickly what each player wants. So um, as a player, you know what you want. So therefore, you, you try and dictate to the coach to, to facilitate your practice um, but as a coach you're trying to work out what all 10, 15, 20 boys in this group want um, and trying to juggle that as a coach but outwardly look like you're calm um, I guess that's that's the, the biggest challenge that I've I noticed um, being in charge of a group of boys a lot of the coaching I did when I was playing was as like a, a sub coach or a co-coach or assistant coach, whatever you want to call it. But as soon as you become like the head coach organising the session, um, lots of different challenges um, that you have to try and juggle at the same time and deliver a, a quality session. Um, so I guess that, that was the biggest challenge that I've, I've come across so far. And don't worry to all the EPP lads that listen to it. I'm working very hard to get Riles back in again next year. So hopefully <laughs> take stop, stop me from talking so much and, and let those guys want to do a bit more running. But um, That's just a no, given. <laughs> well, yeah, even if I'm not leading the session, you'll get, you'll get a few words out of me. <laughs> um, but now I want to go just quickly. There's, I'm going to ask a, quick, a few quick fire questions really quick. Here we go. There we go. Uh, a few quick fire questions, uh, one word answers potentially or one name answers. And then I've got a question to ask everyone just to finish on. 
So, which is about the best bit of advice you've ever been given. So, have a think about that while I'm asking these. But, right, quick fire. Best batsman you've ever bowled at? Oh, Kevin Peterson. That's a name drop. Name drop. <laughs> that's, that's good. The problem is, I ask this question, I want to follow him up. All right, best bowl you've ever faced? Uh, a lot of good ones. Mornay Morkel. Oh, love the Saffers. Love the Saffers. Um, quickest bowl you've ever faced? Um, can I have three? Okay. Um, big name drops. Tymor Mills. Yeah. Sean Tate. Mitchell Johnson. Boff. <laughs> yeah, big name drops. Favourite fielding position? Um, used to be slip, now gully. Oh, golly. Settled, okay. Um, Idol growing up? James Trigwell. James Trigwell. Best coach? Oh. Richard O'Sullivan. Best football team in Bermondsey? <laughs> no clubs play in Bermondsey that I want to mention on this podcast. <laughs> I was trying to make it flow so that it went <laughs> into that. Um, any quick fire questions from you, Buzz? I think I've, I'm running out of them, to be fair. Uh, oh, best moment. Best moment in cricket. It'd be a bit longer than that, but best moment that you've had in cricket. Like from a uh, best moment in cricket. Probably taking my first five for Kent. Yeah, Who's that against? Uh, Hampshire. End up being seven for 150. I think I remember those stats. I remember that. Not the 150 part. I remember the 750. The one question that I think every spinner needs to, to, to know uh, is obviously you've taken a lot of wickets. You've, you've taken, uh, I imagine, some amazing deliveries where it's just turned its bounce, it's ripped, you know, taking the outside edge, you putting the inside edge. Everyone knows as a spinner, you take, or you know, not just you, but as a general, spinners take some really ugly, dogged, crappy deliveries. Is there a, is there a specific wicket that stands out to you or a delivery where you released it, you're thinking, oh my God, and it's, it's ended up being a success? There was a, yeah, I mean, it's amazing you say that because there's always one wicket that springs to mind. Like, yeah, you yeah. Things like that. Um, it was a 2020 game. I can't remember who the batsman was. My memory is usually really good. I can't remember who the batsman was. But as I let it go, it was almost like embarrassment because it was like short, but also so far down the leg side. Um, it probably like it would have just spun off the track and the batsman would have looked at it as if to say, what is that? Um, thankfully, he ran down the wicket. And it's like, it spun past him. Well, it didn't spin past him. He was so far away from it because it was when he was on the pitch. And um, I think it might be Billings or, or Jonesy two off the bales. And everyone comes down and they, they say, what a, what a great bit of bowling. Like, did you oh, see? Okay. Class. How did you know to, like, to chuck it down the leg side? And I'm thinking, you've got no idea how, how I felt looking at my hand. It's a beautiful delivery. And it goes for six. Goes for six. It's going to go for four. You bowl a ball and you think, can I just rewind three seconds and not let that ball go? But it gets your wicket. So, um, it's an unforgiving game. Funny old game. It is. Fun. Anyone you've bowled at besides Pearson that you've gone, wow. Like you've just gone and I don't know how to get you out. If there's a few, you can just name a few. Yeah, but that means more name drops. Uh, well, that's what we're all about. If there's any link to Virat Kohli, that's what we need. We need to put his name in the in the description. No, Virat Kohli. I, played, I, I did bowl at Virat Kohli. He hit me into Nackington Road. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, there's the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hit me for six in Nackington Road. I always remember the guys that hit me for six, like Peterson. I remember playing him in a T20 game. 
um, at the Oval. Um, and like, for, he, I think he blocked the first ball as if to say, like, I've never seen this bloke before. I'm going to watch him for one ball. And then next ball ran down, hit me into the pavilion. And then next ball... Yeah, so that means to... The square boundary. Um, I remember thinking, I need to get this bloke off strike because this could get messy. Um, he, he's always the one that comes to mind. I, I remember when Graham Smith as well, it's that South African theme actually. Um, yeah. When he was at Surrey, I remember bowling at him and he just kept whacking it through mid-wicket off, like, off stump. Um, and I kept scratching my head thinking, not quite sure how you're doing that because these balls are spinning away from the back. Um, it's a big, I've dropped a lot of names the last five minutes, so don't drop any more. Um, no, I don't worry. I think it's the biggest one is probably that I would have against and take Yeah, I'd avoid, I'd avoid going down that route anymore. So yeah, final, final question. Uh, and as one I'm interested to find out from maybe people, people listen as well, it helps them. Uh, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And, and what, um, and what would you pass advice to someone else, or have you got some bit of advice off the back of that you'd like to give anyone else? I always quite like the harder you train, the luckier you get. Oh, As a bit of a bit of a real like cliche Instagram saying, if you like. Um, yeah. I think it's true. I think you know the harder you do train, generally you earn you earn your luck that way. Um, I don't know. I think I think that's that's quite a nice way to finish it. To be honest, um, no, perfect. I think we've covered quite a lot in terms of what I think about young spin bowlers and what they should be doing. Um, but I guess most importantly, like I, the reason why I said Rich O'Sullivan was my favourite cricket coach is because he was the one that introduced me to cricket. Um, and yeah. Like and I think if you're if you're enjoying playing the game, um, it becomes far easier, doesn't it? Um, yeah. That's the reason why you know us three still involved in cricket, um, choose to coach cricket, still play cricket. Um, in quarantine, start a podcast about cricket. <laughs> it's because we love it. If you don't love it, you don't... Well, this, this is it, you know, we've said it to multiple people. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. If, you're, if you are playing cricket past the age of 15, you are a badger. You know, it's whether, it's whether you're proud enough to kind of say that out loud or not. But we all, you know, we all are. There, there is a, there is a, a unique feeling of standing in the field for an entire day with a bunch of blokes and then you know just going yeah well very, very average blokes half time as well you're standing in the field going like, right, any other any other circumstance I wouldn't choose to stand next to this person but it's brilliant you love it they become your best mates in the summer you spend every day with them in the summer it's such a unique sport in the fact that you can share a dressing room with 11 blokes that you would not give the time of day on the street. <laughs> you, you wouldn't even like, crack your like you, you come in a dressing room together and you just have the best time ever. Um, yeah. Amazing. It's an amazing sport. From all walks of life. Well, uh, I'll say this. If we, ever get out, if we ever get outside again, thank you for coming today, Skip. I'm targeting that, targeting that spot in that first team. Go for the fifth to the first <laughs> team in one year. But no, um, honestly, it's Raj. Thank you so much for today, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. I've I've got so much out of that that it's crazy that we know each other well and we spend a lot of time coaching coaching each other obviously playing playing at the same club, but I, I don't think we've ever really sat and spoken in that sort of depth about anything, and that's amazing because we do both like a chat so <laughs> surprised about that. But no mate, thank you so much. Stay safe throughout lockdown to you and uh, Casey as well. Hopefully your mum and dad are well too. Um, and to you guys, and to you guys, stay safe. Good luck with all of the sessions you're doing with Dalich and Ken. <laughs> And um, Buzz, thank you so much for today again, mate. No, no, thank you, mate. Thank you. I was really enjoying just, you know, going on what Dave just said. It's just great to you know, sit down and talk about, 
you know, games, spoon bowling, and things like that, just from a different perspective. Um, is there any is there any um, plugging that you want to do for the school or for any coaching that you're doing there? Charles? Um, not really. Well, <laughs> well, if we are, we'll, we'll we'll stick up any tags. I'm repping the uh, the Dalish kit, so. Um... I, I, I did notice, so we'll just say you know. We'll, we'll, do you want do you want people directed to your personal Instagram, or are you not bothered? Yeah, you can tag me in that. I'm not I'm not huge on the social media to be honest, but um Yeah, seven our target seventeen and everything. Seventeen followers and, and we'll be happy. That's not uh, <laughs> But guys, no, until um until next time, thank you very much for listening. And uh what is it, Buzz? We are out. Yeah, we are out.